everyone. I'm Nick. We're yet to meet. Just to flag any questions, I've dislocated my shoulder, if you can see that. How did I do it? I was um, at preschool with Addie talking to some of the kids. I said, oh, I was fighting these lions to rescue the children from, from, from being eaten, and so I dislocated my shoulder. And then Addie, my three-year-old, walks in. She says, no, you didn't, Daddy. You fell out of the tree when you were trying to help me. <laughs> and so that's what actually happened. I was up in a tree trying to get Addie down, and I fell and pulled it out. Anyways, that's where we're at. Now we're going to look at some more pain in the life of Joseph. So let me pray as we open up the word. Lord, you are so good. You are always good. It is your pleasure to bring beauty out of brokenness, to bring purpose out of pain. And you are always here. You are always with us. Please show us this from your word. Amen. Amen. Well, Joseph's story is a very memorable one. I'm sure you've heard the stories before. You've got this guy with a rainbow coat. He's sold into slavery. There's adultery or presumed adultery. And then there's, you know, going into prison and then being lifted up. It's, it's one of those classic rags to riches stories. There's a musical about it. Has anyone seen the musical? Is it good? Is it worth it? Is that a no? Oh. <laughs> okay, no recommendations from Steve, a recommendation from Ro, so take that as you will. It's, it's a crazy story. There's so much to be seen in it, but the heart of what we're going to look at today, I think the heart of these stories is that we see God's purpose and God's presence in pain. We see God's purpose, we see God's presence in pain. To just be a spoiler right from the beginning, the entire ancient world at this point is about to be swept through with a famine that's going to bring death and tragedy and suffering. And Joseph is really the long game answer that God has to bringing salvation to that world. This is the greatest threat to the promises of God in this generation. You don't get the descendants that are greater than the sand on the seashore if everyone dies from famine. And so we've got 11 chapters of Joseph's story. Ultimately, God taking the the details of this messed up family and weaving them all together to eventually bring forth something good to bring salvation to these people, to propel the promises of God and to lead us into the rest of Scripture. That's the big, 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 big picture, and it's really, really great when you can sit back and see all of that. But when you sit in the story of Joseph, you realize that it's very difficult to see what God's doing when you're in the weeds. When you've got the the difficulties just bearing upon you, it's very hard to notice what is it that you're actually doing, God. Maybe you're not here. Joseph's story raises the question, I think, God, have you abandoned us? God, is there purpose in our suffering? The answer is obviously no, you haven't abandoned us, and yes, there is purpose, but we have to sit in the story to realize that for ourselves. So if you've got your Bibles, keep them open to 37. We're going to walk through these four chapters of the first part of Joseph's story and see how God's purpose and presence is found in his pain. We begin with this sort of like family pain, this youthful pain, where Joseph is a young man. It says in verse 2 that he is a young man of 17, and he was tending the flocks with his brothers. And then, verse 3, we come to the first problem. We get the, the favoritism of the dad. 
Any parents in the room, favoritism never works for your children. It says, now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he made an ornate robe for him. Now, you might see there's a little footnote in your Bible. It says, the meaning of the Hebrew for this word is uncertain. This is the word where you get technicolor. We've gone with ornate here. But really, the vibe of it is that it's a special robe. Some commentators have argued that perhaps the word means long-sleeved, implying that Joseph was so set aside and favoured by his dad that he didn't need to go and do the work. It was all the brother's duty to go and do that. And so he was, he was just the precious golden boy. That's what's really being communicated here. Israel loved him. It makes sense when you get to verse 13 and 14 that Israel, the dad, sends Joseph to go and find his brothers because they're all out working with the flock and he's at home hanging out. So that's where we start. And then we get Joseph's pride. Joseph isn't entirely um, innocent of his own downfall at this point. He, he's given these dreams from God, and these dreams are just dripping with irony um, because he takes these dreams where it seems like his family is going to bow down to him, and he thought, you know what? I think I might share this with my older brothers. <laughs> you ever, ever done that to your older siblings? Coming and be like, my, my dad loves me more than you, and I've got a better life than you do. You know, that's kind of the feel, of the jab that you kind of see going on here. It says, verse 5, Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. This is strong language. The irony is... This is a dream from God. This dream is fulfilled at the end of the story when he's lifted up in Egypt and his brothers come and they do bow before him. It's, it's, it's crazy that this happens. And yet by God giving him this dream, he sets off the spiral that leads to ultimately the dream coming true. And it's not the path that you would expect because it's telling his brothers that they're going to bow down to him that leads his brothers to try and kill him or not kill him, sell him into slavery. It's just dripping with irony, and it's, it just bends my mind contemplating how God has woven his will into this situation, that you've got these brothers doing evil things, you've got Joseph having pride, and you've got years upon years of pain and suffering, all to get to the point where that original dream does come true, and God's purposes do get played out. It's incredible. But he tells them this dream they hate on him. And so you've got the favoritism of dad, the pride of Joseph, the hatred of brothers, and we end up in a sticky situation. So we already covered that Joseph is 17. He's the youngest of the, the family at this point. And so we don't have exact numbers of the brothers, but as you sort of like do a bit of the math in terms of who came when through pregnancy and things, you can expect that the, all the brothers tend to be in their 20s. Reuben, who's the eldest, might possibly be in his early 30s. So we're not dealing with a bunch of 12-year-olds who thought it would be funny to chuck their brother in a pit. We're talking about adults who are very angry with their 17-year-old brother. You come to verse 18. Here comes that dreamer. Let us kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. That's strong. I mean, Joseph probably shouldn't have, you know, lauded the dreams in his brother's face, but this is a bit of an overreaction. <laughs> I've been angry at my siblings before. If you're listening to this podcast, guys, I love you. Fratricide is a little, little bit overkill, yeah? This is strong. And, and you get this sense that there is just deep hatred 
because it's not that they've sat back and reacted to something. They just see him coming and they go, this is our chance. No one deserves to be treated like this. No one deserves to be hated so, so viciously by one's own family. There's a little shining light, Reuben, the oldest, verse 21, when Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, don't shed any blood, throw him into the cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. And he said this because he was going to come back and rescue him later. But doesn't go according to plan. Verse 31, we have the other brothers grabbing Joseph's beautiful robe, ornate robe, slaughtering a goat, dipping it in blood and handing it to their father saying, we found this. It, do you think it's your son's robe? He's dead. And, and it just you've got Jacob mourning and weeping and you've got these brothers selling a fake story of a dead son, which is really not that much better than what they did in the end was selling him for a few pieces of silver so that they could gain something from his plot. And you just have this awful little moment where Reuben realizes at verse 29 that Joseph wasn't there and he couldn't, couldn't help him. And so verse 30, he went back to his brothers and said, the boy isn't there. Where can... This is tragic. This is awful. Verse 36, meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. They're in Canaan right now. So there are, there are days upon days of travel. So I just want you to pause for a moment and consider Joseph, 17 years old. Where were you when you were 17? What was your life like? Joseph, 17 years old, taken and sold by his brothers, currently chained by some slavers, some foreign slavers who probably don't even speak his language, and transporting him to a foreign land to be sold as property. What would be going through your mind? You'd be processing. You'd be processing, well, okay, my brothers were really a little bit more upset than I expected. That sucks. You'd be processing, okay, what's going to happen to me? What's my future? But I, I, I think when you've got these days upon days of reflection, you'd be saying, where are you, God? Uh, God works all good, for all good for all those who love him. Where the heck are you, God? <laughs> My life is unraveling before my eyes. What, what about those dreams that you gave me? Where's the fulfillment? What are you doing? What, what about those promises that you've given my family? Were they not for me? Were they just for everyone else? Have you just left me and abandoned me and forsaken me? Well, that's what I'd be thinking. We're not told what Joseph was thinking, but we do get an insight into what kind of man he becomes. And it's beautiful because he could turn in brokenness and pain and rebellion and crumble, and he doesn't. We see a man forged into a man of faith, a man of integrity, a man of commitment to God. And I think it's clear the only factor that can make sense of this is that the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph in this awful situation and once we move through chapter 38, we don't have time to deal with Tamar, but we can talk about that another time. When you come through to chapter 39, it says Joseph had been taken down to Egypt to Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. You've got this beautiful moment that, yes, his life is still not in a great place. He's still a slave. He's still in a foreign place. And yet the Lord was with him. 
Have you, have you experienced that before, where, where your life is not what you expect it to be, where things seem to be kind of out of whack and falling apart, and yet God is with you? It's incredible. I was talking to someone here from 10 a.m. before. I, don't, I won't mention any names. And they said, I was in a trial recently, and by the end of it, I was upset that the trial was gone because I missed the presence of God that I so uniquely enjoyed in that trial. It's bizarre to speak like that. And yet... The presence of God is with us. That is, that is where Joseph is. The reason I think God has done something in Joseph is because when this whole Potiphar's wife situation happens, it's all a bit grim to a guy who's already been sold as a slave by his brothers, right? You get this moment where the wife approaches him to sleep with him. And verse 10, no one, sorry, verse 9, no one is greater in this house than I am. My master was, has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. This is the important thing. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? No one is watching. He is in a position of power away from the people of God, and yet this man's allegiance is firstly and primarily to God. He is a man of integrity because he is a man of faith. God has forged this guy through a terrible trial to bring him into a terrible place and yet is still doing something. You know it's never going to go well when verse 6, now Joseph was well built and handsome. That never finishes with, and so his life was wonderful. You know, it, it doesn't go well for him. The, the wife fabricates this story that she has, you know, been attacked by him for sex, and so he ran away when she screamed, and now here's his cloak, don't you see? And the outcome is this, this moment, this brief glimmer of light in Joseph's life. You've been sold as a slave, you've been taken to a new land, but at least you're in a place of prominence. At least you've been given a position of power. At least God's been prospering you. That little glimmer of light dashed because Potiphar goes, into prison you go. Right? Again, I just cannot imagine being in that situation. Just pause. Put yourself in Joseph's shoes. 39 verse 20. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. What's running through your head? How, you, how do you make sense of this further turn? Isn't the rags to riches story supposed to be, I go down, but then I go up? Not I go down, then I go up, then I go even further down. What is, where are you, God? God, I was faithful to you. I, I even, I even being a slave, I said no to that woman. Where are you? Why have you abandoned me? God, you were prospering me in Potiphar's house. Why have you let this happen to me? God, I've already been through so much. How much more can you put me through? Have you ever asked God that? But in all of these questions, the underlying reality of Joseph's entire existence is God was with him. And that makes all the difference. Verse 20, he's put into prison. Verse 21, it says, But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him the favor in the eyes of the prison warden. It's, it's amazing that, that one can lose everything in life and then be knocked down again, and yet to be in a position where one still knows the presence of God and still holds fast to God. 
that gives me so much confidence and comfort that God might, in his presence in my life, take and make something of me in the midst of my pain. There's beauty to be found, even in the darkest circumstances, as Joseph shows us. He is not in a good place at this point. He's in prison, and we're told that he's been in prison for years before he gets released. You've got 40 verse 1, it says, sometime later, blah, 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 blah. 40 verse 4, after they'd been in custody, sometime. And then 41, 1, after he's had this whole dream situation with the two servants that he's in prison with, it says, two full years had passed. This is not God letting you sweat for a couple of minutes to then bring you back out. This is throwing him right into the depths of darkness. Literally, he's in prison. And yet, you can see in every interaction that Joseph has, he has not lost sight of God. It's incredible. The way it unfolds, he's in prison and there are two people with him. Have a look at chapter 40. There's a cupbearer and a baker, both for the king of Egypt. They both offended their master, not a good guy to offend, so they're in custody with Joseph. They both have dreams and they both ask him. So verse 8, we both had dreams, but there's no one to interpret them. What kind of man is Joseph? Look at this. Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. It's beautiful. He, he has this confidence that he can offer something to these men. But instead of claiming anything for himself, as he easily could, okay, let me tell you. He says, they belong to God. It is all about God. God is with me. That's, that's the underlying reality. As we keep going, he, he has this whole thing unfold where one of these servants is lifted back into his position. The other one, sadly, beheaded. Turns out that was the fulfillment of the dreams that they had. And he's left once more in the dark. The, the servant that he helped said, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll, I'll think of you when I get out there. I'll help you out. And it says, it says I'll let me find it for you. It says in verse 23, the chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. 41 verse 1, when full, two full years had passed. Just, again, Joseph sitting there, God, you gave me this opportunity. You gave me the interpretation of the dreams. You put that guy back in power, and you're just sitting there waiting. Man, is he going to finally tell the Pharaoh about me? Is he going to finally tell the Pharaoh? Two years. Two years he's just left sitting in this jail cell. And that finally, it's only when the Pharaoh has a dream and needs an interpretation that the chief cupbearer goes, <laughs> look at verse 9, Today I am reminded of my shortcomings. <laughs> I forgot about a young man in prison. I should tell you about him. He told me my dream. And he tells him all about it. And the Pharaoh, verse 14, sends for Joseph. He was quickly brought from the dungeon. They had him shaved and changed his clothes because he was not in a fit state to come before the Pharaoh. And then verse 16, I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Isn't that incredible? Even at this point, in this situation, there's just this unwavering trust because he has seen the presence of God even in his darkness. And so he, he does it. He tells him the dream. Turns out this dream was the pivotal thing that God is doing in this whole story to reveal to Pharaoh, the most powerful person at that time in the ancient world, that there was a famine coming. But preceding that famine will be seven years of abundance. So let's stock up everything from abundance so that we can make sense of the famine. And that's what's going to save his brothers and his family. And that's all next week. We'll talk about that next week. 
But all of this has us to, brought us to this point where Pharaoh goes, okay, we need to put someone in charge. Who can handle this? Who can handle this? Verse 38, this is so telling. The question that he asks, can we find anyone like this man? One in whom is the Spirit of God. This foreign king with a completely different religious system sees this man and says, this man is filled with the Spirit of God. Because that's exactly who he is. He's a man who has been with God or God has been with him his entire life, even in the depths. And in fact, God has been with him specifically. The Spirit of God has dwelt with him. And so Joseph is elevated. He's given insight. He's given power. Ultimately, he does come to this rags to riches moment. But the whole point is not for one man to reach riches The whole point is to display the power, the goodness, the presence of God that works in darkness to accomplish his purposes such that God's family will survive. And then we'll get to Exodus and we'll just rehearse the same story again. Now they're all slaves and yet God will step in and he will provide. And then we'll get down to the Israelites in the wilderness grumbling and then God will intervene and rescue them and provide. And we'll come all the way through to Jesus and we're going to realize that God the entire time has been weaving evil darkness, pain and all of the problems of this world, all to a point so that he can bring beauty and and just flourishing for the entire world as he brings all of his promises to life. This is how God works. Some of the problems were Joseph's own doing. Some of them were done to him, and yet God was present in all of them, working for his good and for the good of the world. That is how God works. Now, before we jump to the beauty of Jesus here, because I think there is such riches to be found of what God is weaving in here, just a couple of reflections, mainly reflections that I've had as I've, I've read this story. First one, life with God is not linear. I don't know if you've experienced this. Life with God isn't a nice straight line from where you are to where you'd like to be. The scriptures are literally filled with stories of wavy ups and down lines where God takes you on incredibly crazy, sometimes painful journeys. The journey is not linear. And the comfort is not, I'm going to have a perfect life. You know, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. You know, Jeremiah 29, like there's this beautiful promise, but that promise is not that you'll have this nice, neat life. That promise is through darkness, you'll eventually come to beauty. It's not linear. And when we're expecting our life to be something, we're holding on tight that we might forge something when actually we just need to let go and let God be in control, which is what I think Joseph shows us. Completely out of control, but just dwelling in the presence of God. That is the single most important reality of life. There's this cheesy little statement someone said to me once, there is no testimony without a test. I think it's true. We don't have a story of God's grace without the test that brought us to recognize it. Second lesson I've learned, I am not the captain of my life. <laughs> Joseph learned that very early. And I think God sometimes needs to, you know, pull our fingers off the wheel of the, of the ship so that we can realize that we're not the ones directing where we're going. That's Joseph through and through, and that's what Joseph shows us. And lastly, that God is not just present in our prosperity. He's also present in our pain. 
I think in the past six months, I have tasted the presence of God in a totally new way that I never have before because I have found myself sitting with God in my pain. And there is a beauty in the God of all creation knowing exactly what I'm going through and knowing that he has brought me here and he's not taking me out of here and yet he's here with me. It's this sometimes frustrating paradox (laughs) and yet it's so important because the presence of God is everything. And all of this comes together beautifully in Jesus because Joseph's story really is Jesus' story. Joseph's story is just Jesus' story on an absolute cosmic level. An individual taken and brought through the, the pits of pain and darkness to bring salvation to the land. Literally, Joseph is the person that God has taken and used to bring salvation to this land about to receive famine and death and tragedy. He is the one that God has chosen to take hold of and walk him through this awful place to position him perfectly to save the people. That is Jesus. He has been sent in this world to live in the pain and darkness and all that this world has thrown at him, eventually in in the very pain of his death to win salvation to the world. Jesus' story is just Joseph's story. Pain was not just something that Jesus had to endure Pain was the very thing that brought us life. Death was the very place that we needed to come to so that we could glimpse resurrection. Joseph, your pain was not just a a part of your story that you had to endure. It was the very path that you walked to get to the place where you could bring salvation. Jesus was exactly the same. Here's the thing. We are followers of Jesus. And so this is our story I don't want it to be sometimes. I'd much prefer the linear path to where prosperity and beauty wait. And yet, that's not it. God, Jesus says to us, follow me. Take up your cross and follow me. The gates of heaven will be beautiful, but you'll get there through death. (laughs) There's pain in the Christian life. There's difficulty And yet the single most life-changing truth that genuinely transforms the entire conversation, God is with us. God is with us. That's Jesus' name, Emmanuel, God with us. And then when Jesus is leaving the earth, he says, I'm not leaving you as orphans. I'm going to send one to be with you, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus. Who could we put in charge in Egypt? This man who has the Spirit of God in him. You have the Spirit of God in you. Jesus is with you. Jesus is with me. And through this pain, because Jesus is with us, we know, we know deep in our bones that he will accomplish his purposes even in this pain. And when it hurts, he will be with us. So let Joseph's story maybe scare you a little, but comfort you. Let me share with you a, a verse from my favorite hymn. I don't often talk about favorite hymns, but this one I found when I was 14. What kind of 14-year-old likes hymns? But I found it. I really liked it. It's called I Love That Will Not Let Me Go. It says this, O cross that liftest up my head, I dare not ask to fly from thee. I lay in dust, life's glory dead, and from the ground 
their blossoms red, life that shall endless be. It's the picture of a cross of crucifixion where the seed is sown and from that red blood that waters that earth, life blossoms forth. That's the path of Jesus and that's our path too. Let me pray. God, thank you that you're with us. Pray for anyone here who feels that place of abandonment like you're not here. Please, God, would you refresh us with your presence. Please help our hearts to believe with all of our being that Jesus is enough for us. Lord, help us to see this story of Joseph and know that you are with us even in our pain. You are working your purposes, even when it hurts. Lord, we love you, we trust you, and as our good shepherd, we ask that you would guide us.